The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 85 of Some Assembly Required, your podcasting adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 80, The Coming of the Red Wolf. This episode's issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by John Buscema, inks by Tom Palmer, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in September of 1970. Starting off with our cover, unfortunately this cover is not filling me with hope for the plot that lays inside. Now don't get me wrong, it's a great looking cover. The Avengers are very well done with a nice amount of inked detail, excellent and very bold colors, and even some nice action. I really like Thor's unintended joke, and it feels very Thor fitting. But what gets me is that the villain of this issue appears to be Red Wolf, a very stereotypical Native American character. I have to remind myself that although this issue came out 50 years ago, it's still a little cringeworthy. Now, moving inside, before we get further on, I do want to say that, oh my god, do I love the coloring on this opening page. It is absolutely amazing. The city at night mixed with the rain makes for some really great lighting effects. And this page also doesn't hold back when it comes to jumping into the story and into the action. Right off the bat, we have hit the ground running. Fighting a torrent of rain, a trench-coated man runs for his life through the darkened streets of New York. As he stops for a moment, his peace is interrupted by a tomahawk burying itself in the telephone pole next to him. The tomahawk's owner is not far behind, a muscular Native American man in traditional garb accompanied by a large gray wolf. Immediately, the man takes off in a terrified run, only for his pursuer to once again take up the hunt. Desperate, the man turns and attempts to shoot his attacker, but to his horror, every shot misses its mark. Now, I really like the look of panic on the trench coat man's face, but unfortunately, the coloring in the panel where he stops and turns to fire at his pursuer doesn't really match the coloring of the rest of the scene. And it's a shame because it's otherwise a really great panel. It's just it's slightly off theme. I also want to know how this guy is out of bullets so quickly. He fired like four shots at his pursuer and then he's, oh, I'm out of bullets, I gotta run away. I mean, maybe he was shooting beforehand, but it seems like a gun similar to what he has should have more rounds than that. Now, as the chase continues, the man knocks over an innocent bystander. Fortunately for this man, the bystander is no ordinary citizen, but the synthesoid Vision recently departed from the Avengers. Leaving behind his disguise, Vision follows the pair. I'm glad we're choosing not to clearly show Vision's disguise here. As we talked about last issue, I don't find Vision's disguise anywhere near as convincing as Vision thinks it is, and I don't feel the need for them to drive this point home. It's a creepy disguise and it's not quite human, and we get that. By this point, the audience has figured it out based on the really not-so-subtle hints that the creative team has dropped. Just as the Native American man gets the better of his prey and prepares to throw him into a construction pit, Vision appears and allows the trenchcoat man to escape. Angered by this turn of events, the mysterious attacker then goes after Vision, but is quickly foiled by the android's mass-phasing abilities. Not knowing what else to do, Vision takes the man and begins to make his way back to Avengers Mansion. 
Vision's solo adventure is now basically over before it's begun. It's a little bit funny because while we've been building to this for a while, Vision's actual departure really came out of nowhere at the very end of a story and was greeted with very little fanfare. Now, in only a few pages into the subsequent issue, Vision is already in the process of returning to the Avengers. I'm also curious that this attacker, as we will, we will discover his name is Red Wolf, has both a tomahawk and an actual wolf, but instead of using those, he decides to kill this guy by throwing him into a construction pit. Now, while I will admit that that makes it look a little less obviously like a murder, it's a really ineffective way of assuring that you've accomplished your goal. There's no guarantee this guy's going to die by getting just thrown into a pit. As we see here, Vision disturbs the act rather easily and allows the man in the trench coat to escape. Now, the fight between Vision and Red Wolf is pretty quick, and honestly, I have to say that I really have no desire to even imagine what it must feel like to have Vision's fist solidify even just a little bit inside my body. Like, that is a literally a just cue full body shutter moment, even contemplating that. It's a really effective attack, and I can understand why it just drops Red Wolf with almost no effort. Off in Avengers Mansion, the team meets to discuss their next mission, which is going after the criminal organization known as Zodiac, which has recently reformed. I'm glad to see we're talking more about Zodiac, because they were at least an interesting villain, and they were super on theme. They picked a theme, and they really stuck the landing, as weird as that theme may be. So while many of the Avengers, including Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America, are on board with the plan of going after Zodiac, there are several voices of dissent. In particular, Black Panther and Scarlet Witch feel that the team should be spending their time going after more local organized crime instead of chasing around the globe in search of villains and costume. They really want the Avengers to help actual people by going after these criminals who are impacting the local community. Now, of course, imagine my surprise that Black Panther doesn't agree. I like having him on the team, but at this point in time, it really feels like he is going out of his way to distance himself from the team. I agree that tackling organized crime is a great thing for the Avengers to do, especially given that they're in New York City in 1970. But as it turns out, Zodiac is actually an organized criminal syndicate. It's pretty spot on for accomplishing Black Panther's mission. Now, having said that, I think Captain America is jumping the gun a little bit here with talks of the Avengers breaking up over this disagreement. Every group is allowed to have their disagreements, and really the key is having enough flexibility so that it doesn't break you. But just having a disagreement like this is in no way, shape, or form indicative that the Avengers are going to break up. Having said that, just as the discussion begins to become heated, Vision enters with his ward, much to the surprise of the rest of the Avengers, because remember, Vision has supposedly departed the team. As the man Vision carries regains consciousness, he introduces himself as Red Wolf, and then without hesitation begins to berate Vision for interfering with his business. Surrounded by the Avengers, Red Wolf is asked to calm down and explain his side of the situation so that the Avengers can get a better idea of what is going on. So if Vision left the team, why does he still have access to the mansion? He just waltzes right in and surprises the Avengers. If he left the team, how? Like, why is that possible? Also, no offense to Red Wolf, but the business he's talking about that Vision interrupted is murder. Pretty much any decent person would attempt to keep you from that, quote, business. Murder's not a good thing, really on any level. You know, the, 
there are times you can argue justifiable homicide or a terrible person had it coming, but generally speaking, murder is bad. And even in those situations, it really still takes something away from the person who committed the, the murder, the crime. That's why we don't murder people. As part of his explanation, Red Wolf relays his backstory to the Avengers, and we find ourselves on a reservation in the American Southwest where a young Native American man watches as his culture is regularly and repeatedly denigrated and made light of, all for the entertainment of white tourists. Although this frustrates him, he takes solace in secretly watching the Dance of the Red Wolf, a ritual that no tourist has seen. The dance tells the story of Red Wolf, a warrior who who has come to his people in times of old to lead the people. Legend says he would come again when he was needed most and he would face those who would stand against him. These scenes from Red Wolf's childhood are actually really poignant. The ignorant white tourist coming by, the disregard for his culture, the idea of wanting to quote civilize him, all of these things are not uncommon themes throughout Native American history. Then on top of that, you add the performance of the dances and rituals for the entertainment of the tourists and the attempts to maintain a hold on their own culture in secret. These are things that really have happened to Native Americans. This is something that they live with on a daily basis. So much of their heritage and culture has either been obliterated or become commercialized for the entertainment of others that there is a real struggle for identity in this community. And these scenes, although one to two panels very short, touch on a lot of important key points. And again, this is 1970. This is literally 50 years ago, and it's still a problem. So even as a modern reader, this gives us legitimate insight into what goes on and how people feel to some extent within this culture. As time goes on, the child grows up, he goes to war, and then he moves to the city to find work. All the while, his people back home are under threat from Cornelius Van Lunt, an industrialist who demands that the Native Americans sell their land to him. Eventually, the man returns home only to find Van Lunt threatening his family for refusing to sell. Later that same night, his house is shot up by Van Lunt's men, killing the man's entire family. Here we see the return of Cornelius Van Lunt. This time he is more or less an actual villain. Last time it turned out he was really not the primary villain. He was really secondary to the plot of the story and he didn't really serve much of a purpose. In this case, I'm starting to hope he serves more of a purpose at least than being the evil rich white dude because he's not even very good at that. But at least this time he is at least more specifically related to the story. So unfortunately for Red Wolf, he really tries to find his place in the outside world and then ends up realizing that he needs to be home, that that's where he wants to be. But returning home doesn't bring him the peace he's looking for because of all the things that are happening. Now, obviously, it's not very clear why Van Lunt wants this land so badly. I think it's mostly an idea to make him seem like more of a terrible person. The idea that wanting the land is more important to him and that any justification is really secondary purely to his desire to acquire it. It's really avarice for its own sake. But when Red Wolf is returning here, he's really looking for something he's missing and he arrives home into this situation thinking that maybe he'll find it and then he doesn't at least not in the way he expects to i did a little bit of looking into this 
And while I couldn't find any specific instances that parallel the story, it's really not that hard to imagine one. In the 1960s, Native Americans were fighting for civil rights right along with the African American community. And in 1968, they actually passed what is called the Indian Civil Rights Act. So only two years before this issue came out. As we have demonstrated time and time again in our history, the passage of a law doesn't remove centuries of entrenched racism. So the idea that these people would be subject to this kind of intimidation and violence is really not that hard to believe. In the aftermath of this incident, the man staggers away in a near feverish state, eventually making his way to the sacred mountain where he performs the dance of the Red Wolf alone. When he's finished, the man is visited by the spirit of Red Wolf, and the spirit informs the young man that he is now the new Red Wolf who was said to come again. Shortly after that, he is forced to face off against a wolf and kills it, then adopting the wolf's cub that he finds, and the man now knows what he must do. So returning to New York, he begins to stalk Van Lunt in search of the men who killed his family. Eventually, he discovers that the man Jason Birch was responsible, and that's who he was hunting when Vision intervened. And what we see here happen to Red Wolf is akin to a Judeo-Christian miracle. He is overtaken by something, by this tragic event. He performs this ritual he's only ever seen once, and then he has an encounter with a supernatural being, and in the end he is a changed man and he has found the purpose he is so desperately looking for. The victory over the wolf and the finding of the pup are really confirmation that he is now on the proper path. Now, of course, Red Wolf is stalking around New York City in full native attire, and I can't decide if this would draw attention or not. Having lived in New York City for four and a half years, spending a lot of time in Manhattan, I have seen some really weird things on the street, and I'm not sure that this is even strange enough to really register with the overwhelming majority of New Yorkers. In the present, Vision vows to make amends for the actions that interfered with Red Wolf's business and to help Red Wolf with his mission to bring Birch to justice. Red Wolf objects to the idea of justice, lacking faith in the white man's system of justice. This new mission really only adds to the disagreement between the Avengers, and eventually two teams take up the different missions while Black Panther ventures out on his own. As the teams head towards their separate objectives, several members begin to wonder if their inability to agree on a mission is the beginning of the end for the Avengers. So Red Wolf here is really intent on murdering Van Lunt and his men. Revenge is a very powerful motivator, and I'm not really sure that Vision should be encouraging this line of thought. Now, of course, once we move past that, we just go back to bickering about which mission the Avengers should take on. Not only that, but on top of that, Black Panther doesn't like any of the options and insists on once again reminding us that he is a teacher and he wants to go off on his own mission. It's like that one friend I think pretty much everyone has that won't shut up about the one cool thing they did that one time it's like we get it you've done something awesome but i i don't need you to remind me about it every 15 pages i swear i haven't forgotten i know black panther is a teacher i think it's a great thing for the character to be doing i don't need you to talk about it two to three times an issue which is kind of what we're running 
Towards the end of this discussion, I feel like there is some miscommunication in the scene between Red Wolf and Goliath. The dialogue that is provided doesn't really match the tone of the visuals. The visuals are a lot more aggressive, and it really appears that there was intended to be more of a confrontation that got toned down when the dialogue was added. This is one of those things that sometimes happens when you're working with the Marvel method, where the outline doesn't cover everything, then the art is provided and the dialogue is filled in after the fact that there isn't a full scripting process so sometimes things are a little unclear and this kind of thing happens occasionally where there's just some kind of discontinuity between the words you're reading and the action of the panels in the end when the avengers split up red wolf gets a very interesting group of avengers while a much more we'll call it standard team goes after zodiac captain america thor iron man go after zodiac while scarlet witch vision and goliath join red wolf the most interesting part is that quicksilver and scarlet witch go in different groups because the two are almost always inseparable and typically Scarlet Witch follows Quicksilver's lead. Now I like this because it means that she is developing more into her own person. Having returned to the team, there is more of a sense of independence from Scarlet Witch. You know, before she was so dependent on Quicksilver and now we're just starting to see the littlest hints of her being her own person and I like it. Overall, the story here isn't bad, although admittedly not much of it happens in the present. There is a sizable amount of backstory that has to go out in order for the appearance of Red Wolf to make any sense. The choice of Venlunt as a villain is pretty terrible, and I really had no desire for this character to come back. Although the plot is nothing to write home about, the art is often stunning in this book the opening of the book as well as the portions where red wolf meets with the spirit and becomes red wolf are absolutely wonderful and it's filled with an imagery that we don't necessarily get very often in avengers books a lot of times you know we get a lot of norse mythology we get a lot of technology science fiction kind of themes we don't get a lot of native american themes and so it's nice and interesting and refreshing to get those in this book now on the downside there is a moderate undercurrent of anti-native american race racism that runs throughout the book. With a deeper look, however, you can see that a lot of it is really intended as a means from the creative team on commenting about the state of affairs when it comes to this particular form of racism. Anti-African-American racism often takes center stage in this era, so it's easy to overlook this particular facet of hate. Having said that, there are still some issues with the book. As a modern reader, there is still some endemic racism built in throughout the use of stereotypical costuming, theming, and situations that the characters find themselves in. All of the characters are exactly what one would expect them to be and all conform to preconceived notions of Native Americans present at the time the issue is written. This issue is very much a representation of Native Americans in the 1970s, at least what pop culture thinks of Native Americans in the 1970s. There's not very much nuance. These characters are very one-dimensional and like with any ethnic group, with any group in general, there is going to be a diverse of thought and action and personality that really doesn't come out in any of these characters. So I greatly appreciate the idea of them trying to bring light to this form of racism and discrimination. But from a modern standpoint, while they do a lot of good, they also don't hit everything, I think, the way they should because of how much stereotypical material they include. Remember, 
You can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next week, we are going to be taking a look at Avengers number 81, When a Legend Dies. All right. Hey. All right. Good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.